right, we are back in the current edition of K Deviations Magazine, which is the publication of this radio station. You'll find a transcript of our interview with Dr. Simon Singh, who, along with Dr. Edzard Ernst, had written a book called Trick or Treatment, The Undeniable Facts About Alternative Medicine. We enjoyed that interview very much and would refer you to it in print form. But do note that Dr. Ernst appears in the current edition of New Scientist Magazine in the one-minute section, in which New Scientist notes that the physician dubbed the scourge of alternative medicine was asked why people are so taken by unproven therapies. Asked, what new trends do you see? Dr. Ernst said, integrative medicine is a subject that annoys me intensely. People are being told it is the best of both worlds, conventional and alternative. When you look behind that platitude, it's a cover for quackery being smuggled into conventional use. They then asked him, do you think conventional medicine can learn anything from complementary practitioners? To which he said, definitely. Understanding, time, and empathy, what we used to call the art of medicine, are being neglected by conventional medicine. If we delegate these to complementary practitioners, then we undermine the core basis of medicine. The magazine then said, you have changed your mind about the efficacy of homeopathy. Why? Ernst replied, I honestly think that I am entirely evidence-led. I worked in a homeopathic hospital and was open to the idea that there were laws of nature that we didn't understand. I still think homeopathy works. The question is, why? After years of research, I think the answer now is conclusive. It works because of a very long empathetic consultation. It's a powerful placebo effect. Speaking of placebo effect, we've taken the position on this program that uh, the massive use of psychotropic medications in the United States is undoubtedly vast overkill. I have no doubt that some people benefit from the use of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and certainly antipsychotics, maybe the occasional medication for uh, OCD, bipolar disorder, ADHD, etc., but that the massive use of these medications, 30 million Americans are on SSRIs, is surely not warranted. Worse, the uh, pharmaceutical industry is hard-pressed to show that any of these medications are better than placebo. And I hope this is an area that uh, Simon Singh and Edzard Ernst will tackle next, particularly in light of the headlines this week that the SSRI Selexa may damage the heart at higher doses. In fact, the FDA now says that Celexa should no longer be used at doses higher than 40 milligrams per day. The new label will remove a statement suggesting that some patients may need 60 milligrams a day and it will also warn of the drug's risks to the heart. While on vacation down in Ventura, I saw an excellent uh, television documentary on the use of psychotropic medications. I'm going to do what I can to see if we can't bring that documentary north and get it aired on cable access in Sacramento and perhaps Davis. But I would say at some point or another, every single uh, point that was addressed in that documentary we've talked about on this program, including the fact that uh, psychiatrists just keep expanding the range of human behaviors that are defined as mental illness. You're not just antsy. You have attention deficit disorder. You're not shy. You have Asperger's syndrome. You're not just having a down moment. You're depressed. Fortunately, of course, we have pills we can prescribe for all of these things. I think I may have mentioned this program that I do have a health blog where we talk about some of this material in greater detail. If you're interested, that is located at sacramentomenshealth.com. 
And on my August 5th blog, I went on a bit about this question of the truth about SSRIs. We referred in that blog to the July 22nd issue of The Week magazine, where the briefing section addressed the controversy surrounding SSRIs. We know that they can alter your brain chemistry. We know that some studies reported that patients improved with depression. Unfortunately, the pharmaceutical industry has never presented convincing data that the drugs are actually working better than placebo. Worse, they presented the world with a dubious theory that people's depression results from a deficiency in serotonin, which, lucky for the patient, is fixable with these wonder drugs. There's no definitive evidence to support this widely believed notion. In fact, the levels of neurotransmitters in the depressed turn out to be no different from the levels found in the non-depressed. Psychologist Erwin Kirsch studied the clinical trials done on behalf of the SSRIs between 87 and 99 and discovered that more than half showed results no better than placebo. At any rate, this is one area that certainly deserves a rethink. If the diagnosis of a condition is entirely subjective, and if upon starting on the medication there seems to be no plan as to when you will be taken off of it, well, that's just a blueprint for disaster. Particularly in the case of many of these SSRIs when it turns out that uh, there's a bit of a withdrawal. When you come off the medications, you feel lousy, which means you want to go back on them. Which kind of reminds me of my drug education classes back in high school when they talked about heroin. That may be stretching it a bit, but, and again, maybe not. Let's talk a bit about politics. We haven't done much of that on this program today. Evangelical Christian Governor Rick Perry of Texas, he of big hair and swagger, is apparently suddenly the front-runner for the Republican nomination for president, or at least one of the top three. And yes, of course, we think it's just a swell idea to make a Texas governor president. It's worked out so well, we've tried it in the past. But in spite of the fact that uh, Governor Perry keeps talking about how he's created all these jobs, and you know, we keep hearing this from Republicans, that Texas is the place to go if you want to have a business, to which I say, good, move there. When you take a look at some of these claims being made, well, it gets pretty interesting. We would cite the Christian Science Monitor article by Jared Bernstein, which noted as follows. Although Texas has lost its fair share of jobs in the private sector, it's added a huge number of government jobs. Citing Governor Perry's anti-government rhetoric, Bernstein noted that when he announced his candidacy the other day, he growled that his goal as president would be to make Washington as inconsequential in your lives as I can except when it comes to job creation. Over the past few years, government jobs have been awfully consequential in Texas, where 47% of all government jobs added in the U.S. between 2007 and 2010 were added. That's right, in Texas. The article includes a graph showing that the nation as a whole added 264,000 government jobs during that time period. And it turns out that Texas was the state that depended the most on the stimulus funds that came that uh, were introduced in the Obama administration. It plugged nearly 97% of Texas's shortfall for fiscal year 2010. Even the rather pro-business economist was rather skeptical of Governor Perry's claims, noting that oil-rich Texas has benefited quite a bit from the rise in oil prices. In spite of all this talk, the unemployment rate in Texas is 8.2%, just a point below the national average. One thing's for certain, we're going to be hearing more about Rick Perry in the months to come. We'll do what we can to keep those reports accurate. Of course, we would note that in the Republican race, currently, 
Representative Michelle Bachman of Minnesota wants to padlock the EPA's doors, along with former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich and Rick Perry of Texas. Meanwhile, Representative Ron Paul of Texas wants environmental disputes settled by the states or the courts. Oh, that's, that's bound to work. Turns out among Republican candidates, only Mitt Romney, the former Massachusetts governor, has any kind words for the EPA. And that is qualified by his opposition to the agency's proposed regulation of carbon dioxide and other gases that contribute to global warming. Notice the article by John Broder in the New York Times. Opposition to regulation and skepticism about climate change have become tenets of Republican orthodoxy. But they're embraced with extraordinary intensity this year because of the faltering economy, high fuel prices, and Tea Party passion for smaller government. Apparently, Michelle Bachman drew loud applause a couple weeks ago when at a rally in Iowa, she declared, I guarantee you the EPA will have its doors locked and the lights turned off, and they will only be about conservation. And apparently in his book, Fed Up, Our Fight to Save America from Washington, Rick Perry described global warming science as, quote, one contrived phony mess that is falling apart under its own weight, unquote. He referred to a secular carbon cult led by false prophets like Al Gore, which I'm sure plays well to his evangelical base, don't you think? Meanwhile, closer to home in California, the California Chamber of Commerce has unveiled a new weapon in its never-ending war against legislation, putting out a series of video clips narrated by former Capitol Television reporter Kevin Riggs. In the first edition, they're attacking Senate Bill 568 by Democratic Senator Alan Lowenthal of Long Beach, which would ban polystyrene foam food containers unless they can be recycled. Yes, apparently recycling styrofoam is a real job killer. That has to be stopped. We should mention that U.S. Representative Daryl Issa, who took over the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee last January, famously dubbed the Obama administration the most corrupt in history. I'd like to quote the Sacramento Bee adage that uh, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, coming to mind uh, in the wake of ISIS pronouncements. He's one of the richest men in Congress, and he's frequently participated in government actions that directly benefit his far-flung business interests. Just to mention one example, he helped arrange a federal earmark for $800,000 worth of road work near a medical plaza he owns north of San Diego that enhanced traffic flow and his property values. And to close in our last two minutes from the uh, Anything We Damn Well Please department, I noted with some horror an article uh, a week or so ago in the Sacramento Bee by Mel Shields talking about Sammy Davis Jr., The article notes that Harris Reno has made the wise decision to remind guests of the showman that Sammy Davis Jr. was. When Davis died in 1990, Harris renamed the showroom, then the headliner room, after him. It was a popular move at the time, but younger generations often wonder why the place bears that name. It's hard to contemplate, but yes, it's true. An awful lot of younger uh, people out there don't remember Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and the Rat Pack. Apparently to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Sammy's birth, Harris is, is paying homage to the entertainer. And uh, they apparently have a pretty good impersonator, David Hayes. I gather that's something that'll be, uh, that'll be operating up in, in Reno through uh, the middle of September. I don't know if I'll check it out, but I, I did catch on television a few nights ago a pitch from the good people at KQED in the Bay Area uh, for their annual, you know, fun drive. One of the things they were offering as a, um, 
as a premium for contributors uh, were both CDs and DVDs of a concert held in 1965 by the Rat Pack as a special benefit. It's apparently only one of their uh, concerts together that was recorded, and uh, watching Frank Sinatra in action was just, I don't know, it's like watching a... Watching film of Babe Ruth swinging the bat or watching Joe Montana throw a football. Or maybe David Letterman telling a joke. I don't know. Just someone at the top of their game. Anyway, it just occurred to me with some sadness that uh, as time marches on, some of these great, great entertainers may sort of be forgotten by people, and they shouldn't be. So, Ms. McMillan, as we go out of today's show, your mission is to find something from the Rat Pack and see if we can use that as our bumper music to end the program. I think that'd be a fitting tribute uh, of our own to some of these great entertainers. That about does it for time. Our thanks to Professor Gita Coker of the Department of Plant Pathology here at UCD. Oh, and if you've missed Will Durst, by the way, he's been on vacation. We expect to have him back on again real soon. I would note that today's program, like all of them, was produced by Mr. Edward McMillan. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. Luck be a lady tonight Luck be a lady tonight Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with Please be a lady tonight Luck let a gentleman see just how nice a dame I can be I know the way you've treated all those gals before me Please be a lady with me Luck be a lady